Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. When Jesus was on the cross, his taunters said, He saved others, he cannot save himself. And even though they didn't know this, his taunters were being theologically accurate. If Jesus is to bear the wrath of God, the holiness of God against our sin, so we could be forgiven, if Jesus was going to be our substitute and take our penalty for our sin, it is accurate to say he cannot save himself if he's to become our substitute. Today we're going to look at Jesus on the cross, and I want us to learn as much as we can from the crucifixion today. So would you, would you bow with me in prayer? <clears throat> Father, we pray if there's anyone watching this program who doubts that you love them, doubts that you can forgive them, as we look at the sufferings of Christ, Lord, open our eyes to see how deeply you love each one of us. And speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Would you turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 15? Mark, chapter 15, Jesus is now on his way to the cross. He's just been whipped brutally by the soldiers. And now verse 21. And they, the soldiers, compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry Jesus' cross. All right, let me explain this. The ancient Romans crucified lots of people. It was their version of the electric chair, capital punishment. The criminal had to carry the beam of his own cross to the site of execution, and he'd get crucified on the beam that he carried. Jesus had been so horribly whipped, he was only to, able to do that part of the way. They pressed into service a man by Simon, called Simon of Cyrene, and he is the one who carried Christ's cross. So here's the first lesson today. Every Christian is to carry Christ's cross. The first person that did that in history was Simon of Cyrene, but for 2,000 years, millions of Christians have been carrying Christ's cross. Here's, here's the report. <clears throat> I get a magazine called Persecution on the, the, what's going on in the church worldwide. Uh, North Korea, a horrible place to be a Christian. Here, here's another uh, edition. Egypt's Dark Secret, a tragic look into the rising trend of kidnapping, raping, and forcing conversion of young Christian women to Islam in Egypt. And here's another one. Finding God in the Graveyard, uh, India's notorious Orissa state, where radical Hindus now are persecuting the church. For instance, thousands of Christians in the Orissa state of India have witnessed their homes, businesses, and churches destroyed and torched over the last few weeks. Up to 50 Christians have been killed, 100 churches destroyed, 20,000 in refugee camps, up to 50,000 Christians hiding in the jungles and left homeless. They're bearing the cross of Christ. 
We've had it pretty easy in America being Christians. I think that's starting to change as certain states try to force Christian bakers and florists to do gay weddings and certain states trying to Christ force Christians to become complicit in contraceptives and even abortion. Uh, things may be changing, but Christian, every Christian is to be willing to suffer for Christ. That's what it means to take up his cross. Verse 22, and they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, probably a little hill in the shape of a skull. And they offered Jesus wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Have you ever wondered what that was all about? Well, a New Testament commentator said this, According to an old tradition, respected women of Jerusalem provided a narcotic drink to those condemned to death in order to decrease their sensitivity to the excruciating pain. Jesus refused it, choosing to endure with full consciousness the sufferings appointed for him. So here's the next lesson. Jesus felt the full punishment of our sin. He could have taken the drug and, and eased it up. Nope, he's here to drink the full cup of God's wrath against our sin. During World War I, a live grenade landed in the foxhole. One soldier threw himself on top of the grenade. It killed him, but it saved the rest of the men in his foxhole. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. The grenade is the wrath of God. God is angry against our sin. He's a holy God. He has to punish sin if he's going to stay a holy God. So Jesus throws himself on the grenade. Jesus absorbs the wrath of God for our sins so that we can be forgiven and saved. Verse 24. And they crucified Jesus and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. That's about nine in the morning. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you would have destroyed the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. Here's the next lesson. The world likes to mock Christ. There's a horrible TV show called South Park that I do not watch, where they love to mock Jesus on that TV show. And let me say this, it's evil when the world mocks Christ. It is super evil when people in the church mock Christ. I'm a Lutheran. Many years ago, the church I served and I left the liberal evangelical Lutheran church in America for a more biblical branch of Lutheranism. But when I was in the ELCA, our liberal bishop brought in Marcus Borg to speak to our pastor's conference. Marcus Borg was an Episcopal scholar, he's now dead, who denied the basics of the Christian faith, who denied that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. I wrote my liberal Lutheran bishop, dear bishop, are you trying to spread heresy? Why would you bring someone like that in to teach the pastors? And the bishop responded in a letter to me, Marcus Borg has a deeper faith in Jesus than many of us. But he doesn't believe Jesus rose from the dead. So I didn't go to that conference. My buddy Leon went. He's a Lutheran pastor. I said, Leon, tell me what happened. 
And he said that Marcus Borg got in front of 200 Lutheran pastors and basically denied that Jesus rose from the dead. And I said, did one pastor put up his hand and say what? He said, nobody said a thing. <sighs> Even though I, I'm not an ELCA Lutheran anymore, and I'm still a Lutheran, I'm on a clergy Facebook page of a lot of ELCA Lutherans, liberal some of them. There's one woman seminarian that just wrote an article for that Facebook page on the Holy Spirit. She used obscene language about the Holy Spirit. I mean, oh and she's going to be a pastor in the ELCA Lutheran denomination. Listen, um, it's tragic when the world mocks Christ. It's super evil when the church mocks Christ. Look at verse 31. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let me explain now how these mockers are right. Let me explain what's called the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Here we go. You and I are sinners. We deserve to go to hell. God loves us. He doesn't want to send us to hell. So God comes down from heaven, becomes a human being. His name is Jesus. He lived the perfect life we couldn't. So when he goes to the cross, he can die for our sins because he has none of his own. He dies on the cross in our place as our substitute to satisfy the wrath of God, to satisfy God's holy demands of the law against us. He dies to pay our sin penalty, rises from the dead, so we are saved. So when they say, he, if he's trying to, he can't save others, he can't save, no, no, they were right. If he's going to save others, he couldn't save himself. He had to stay up on that cross. There's a story of an Englishman who was standing in line on the bus, for the bus, waiting for the bus, one of those double-decker London buses. Well, everybody got on the bus, but the last man in the line couldn't get on because it was full. And the bus driver says, sorry, you're going to have to wait for the next bus. The man jumps onto the bus and says, I'm not getting off this bus. My wife and children are on the top, top level. I'm not leaving. And the bus driver says, well, you, we, you're in line. You're the last person. You get off this bus. Big argument in front of everybody. Well, a man stands up. It comes to the front and says, you know, bus driver, technically you're right. He was the last in line, so he should get off. But sir, saying to the man, Technically, you're right, too. You don't, we don't want to separate you from your wife and children. So I'll, I, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I will give you my place. I'll get off the bus and wait for the next one, and you can take my spot. This man who did this was a Christian. He turns to the people on the bus, and he says, And may I say to everyone before I leave, this is just what the Lord Jesus did for us. He came down from heaven. He took our place on the cross to give us a place in heaven. And he got off the bus. And a man was heard to say, ain't he a kindly bloke? <laughs> when we say that Jesus is our substitute, it means I deserve the wrath of God for my sin. Jesus took it so I could be forgiven. Let's look at verse 32. The enemies say, let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him, the two thieves on either side, also reviled him. And when the sixth hour, that's twelve noon, had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, that's three, three in the afternoon. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, 
Lama Sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's the next lesson. Jesus was forsaken by God. Some people think, no, no, God would never forsake his son. He, Jesus felt forsaken, so that's why he said that. But God didn't really forsake him. They're wrong. <laughs> to pay the penalty for our sin means you have to be forsaken by God. So God the Father did for that time on the cross. He forsook his son. It was the greatest pain I think Jesus ever felt because he's God with the Father and the Spirit for eternity. That had never happened in eternity but it happened on the cross. I think that's what killed Jesus. Follow this. This is what's called the atonement, the at-one-ment. This hand is you and me. This hand is God. We had turned our back on God because of our sin. And in a sense, there was separation on God's side too because His holiness demands that He punish our sin. So God the Father sent Jesus to become a man to make at-one-ment, atonement. God became a man, lived the perfect life we couldn't, died on the cross to pay for our sins, so that now God and man are at-one again because of Christ's substitutionary at-one-ment, atonement. I think, though, something else is going on when Jesus says from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Follow this. You know, Jesus was quoting the Old Testament when he said those words. The first line of Psalm 22, written by King David, 1,000 years before Christ was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want you to go home or wherever you're at, maybe you're home, read Psalm 22. It's a detailed prophecy of Christ dying on the cross. It's amazing. I mean, crucifixion wasn't even invented until 250 B.C., David, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1000 B.C., predicts in detail the crucifixion of Christ. So if you or someone you know wonders if the Bible is really supernatural, read Psalm 22. <laughs> uh, verse uh, 34. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. When Jesus said, Eloi, Eloi, he was saying, My God, my God. But Eloi kind of sounds like, Elijah, Elijah, and they wondered if Jesus was calling on Elijah to come down from heaven and save him. Uh, verse 36, And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to Jesus to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. Now, I always misunderstood this. The, the sour wine that was put to Jesus' lips, I thought that was somebody being mean to him. Probably not. It was a refreshing drink for the people that suffered. So whoever put the sour wine to his lips on the cross was trying to do Jesus a favor, or at least they're trying to keep him alive long enough to see if Elijah will come down to help him. Verse 37, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Here's the next lesson. Jesus really died. Sometimes... I'll ask a group of Christians, did Jesus literally die on the cross? And sometimes Christians will say, no, because he's God, so he couldn't die. And I say, well, wait a minute. If he didn't really die, then our sins aren't forgiven. Because the, the, uh, the cost of sin is death, and if Jesus didn't really die, we're not saved. You want to maintain two things. Jesus is fully God, and he's fully man. 
and that when he died, he literally died for our sins. Now, follow this. God the Father did not die on the cross. I have a friend who's a pastor, and one day I heard him pray the prayer in front of the whole church. God the Father, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. And I took him aside after church, and I said, that's called the ancient heresy of patripassionism, that the Father suffered and died on the cross. God the Father, I think he suffered because of Christ, but God the Father didn't die on the cross. God the Son, Jesus, died on the cross. But he really died. Look at verse 38. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Here's the next lesson. Jesus' death opens the way back to God. If you committed a horrible sin and you think, is there any way for me to get back to God? Jesus' death is the way you can be forgiven and get back to God. Um, let me explain the symbolism here. There was a thick curtain in the Jewish temple that separated the Holy of Holies, where nobody went except once a year the high priest would go in there, but only with the blood of the Lamb to make atonement. Nobody else could go in there. And there was a thick curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, where God was, from all the people. When Jesus died, that thick curtain split in two, symbolizing that there's a way back to God now. Now, the ancient church fathers believed there was another thing being symbolized. Do you remember when Jesus said, uh, the disciples say, look at this beautiful temple, Lord, and Jesus said, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And the early church, when the, the splitting of the, of the curtain, they thought that symbolized that God was about to destroy the temple in Jerusalem, which happened in 70 AD when the Romans came in and knocked every stone down. So. Uh, here's the point, though. There is a wall up, a thick curtain up between us and God. On our side of the curtain is our sin. On God's side of the curtain is his holiness. So again, how does God make us at one again, atonement? Christ comes down from heaven, dies on the cross as our substitute, rises from the dead, and now the curtain is split, and we're one again. Verse 39. And when the centurion who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. Here's the last lesson today. The Bible was written to get you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's made even clearer. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 30 says this. Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So let me ask you the big question. Do you have life in Jesus' name? I said on an earlier show, I have a friend who's an evangelist. He talks to people about Jesus a lot. He told me he thinks 98% of the people he talks to are trusting their own good works, their own goodness to get them into heaven. I hope that's not you. I hope you know that you will never be good enough to earn your way into heaven. I hope you know you've only got one hope for eternal life, and that is Jesus on the cross. That is what's going to save you. And I close with this. Maybe there's somebody watching the show and you wonder if God loves you. What I ask you to do, take some time tonight 
open up to Mark chapter 15, the crucifixion of Christ, and slowly read that chapter to see how deeply God went for the salvation of your soul. And then ask yourself at the end of Mark 15, well, does God love me? I guess he does. And I close with this. Many years ago, there was a wealthy English woman who always wore gloves. The servants in her mansion never saw her without her gloves. Her daughter had never seen her mother without her gloves. When the daughter was a teenager, she unexpectedly walked into mother's bedroom and saw horribly disfigured hands. And the mother tried to cover, but she said, darling, I probably should tell you what happened. When you were a baby in the cradle, a fire started in our home. And I had to reach down through the flames to grab you out of the cradle. I handed you to the fireman, then I had to climb down the trestle, and as I came down, it tore both of my hands. And darling, these, these scars were for you. And the story goes that the, the girl took her mother's hands and kissed her mother's hands. If you ever wonder whether God loves you, whether he'll forgive you, look at the hands of Jesus Christ. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible and our Lord and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, can a person deny that Jesus died for our sins and still be a Christian? I don't think so, Jackie. Now I got to tell you what that, what that question's about. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I'm going to remind you of the basics of the faith by which you are saved. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Can you deny that he rose from the dead and be a Christian? No. Can you deny that he died for your sins and be a Christian? No. But something strange is happening in the liberal denominations. Some of these people are rejecting what I just preached, which is that Christ died in our place for our sins, and they call that divine child abuse. That God the Father would punish Jesus for my sins, that's not fair. That's divine childhood. And they reject the atonement. Some of these people are professors in our seminaries and pastors in our churches, Jackie. So th th this is grievous. Um, somebody went to a very liberal Episcopal church and sent me this. this is, she picked this up uh, off of their table. There are many paths to God, says this Episcopal priest. And every path that is life-giving to oneself and others is valid. In other words, Buddha saves use uh, Muhammad. Then he says this, um, uh, Christians choose to follow as best we can the, the teachings of Jesus, but we do not teach the stories as facts. And then he says this, Jackie, about the atonement. The belief that God was angry at the sinful world, that humanity owed God a debt, and that God sent Jesus to pay the debt, this theory was thought up by the uh, theologian Anselm in 1033. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Yes, Anselm exposed the teaching of Christ's substitutionary atonement. He didn't invent it. Jesus said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. The Apostle Paul said that uh, in, in Christ, we are, he gets our sin, we get his righteousness. This is biblical. But here, here's an Episcop liberal Episcopal priest in Minneapolis who is denying the, the atonement of Christ. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. Okay, there you go. So, is so it yes, you have to believe Christ died for your sins to be a Christian. Okay. So... I guess here's another question for you then. Is it proper to say that God died on the cross? Because wouldn't the word world have vanished if God had died? 
All right, so here's... That's a big question. <laughs> it's a, and, and I hope I'm right. Let me give you two answers. There are Christians who teach that when Jesus died on the cross, his human nature died, but not his God nature. Oh. So, so when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus has two natures. He's fully God and fully man. When he died, the man part of Jesus died. There are other Christians who teach, no, for Jesus' death to have weight to cover the, death, the, the, the sins of all mankind, it had to have God in that to counter the weight of all the sins of mankind. So in a sense, God did die on the cross. Okay. So Jackie, uh, which of those two is, ex I, I, I'm willing to say there's a little bit of mystery to this and how this works only the Lord knows, but you have to maintain that Jesus died on the cross or we're not saved. Yeah, he literally died. Pastor Brock, how long was Jesus on the cross? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to think of the, the, the He gospel. was nailed at 9 o'clock in the morning. By 6 in the afternoon, in the evening, he was dead. So somewhere between 6 and 9 hours, he was on the cross. And Jackie, you could live for days on the cross. Some of the ancient Romans mm. who were who was crucified lived for days. But if you remember, so in a sense, Jesus kind of died early, but remember he'd gone through this horrible whipping before his crucifixion, which was unusual. And plus, he was bearing the wrath of God for our sin, which nobody else ever had. So that it took his life. Why did the Romans crucify people? Mm -hmm. It was a deterrent. If you walked down the street and saw somebody hanging on the cross because they stole from the Roman government, you weren't going to steal from the Roman government. And, and again, lots of people were crucified by the ancient Romans, not just Jesus, lots of people. So when was crucifixion invented then? Yeah. What time period? About or? 250 BC. So the Roman government comes, uh, you know, they were a republic before they were, uh, uh, they had the empire, but about 250 BC, which is why Psalm 22 is so amazing. David in Psalm 22, written 1000 BC, predicts the crucifixion that wouldn't even be invented for another 800 years. Yeah. Hmm. So, were people always nailed to the cross, or did that start at a different period? You know, they were sometimes nailed, sometimes and often they had their hands tied to the cross. So Jesus was Jesus' crucifixion was especially brutal. Okay, we only have about 40 seconds left, and. I would like to take this opportunity to thank all of our listeners for the time that they spend with us. It's important to have the people that are there and then we hear from you that you're liking what we're doing or you send us your questions. It makes it so much easier on us and we just want to pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're all together again next time. Do you thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.